All right, for our everyday Tuesday, we have an interview, and today we're going to find out what a Tuesday looks like for Vivian. So why don't you come up, Viv? Give her a hand, everybody. Woo! All right, Viv, give us a detailed breakdown of what Tuesday looks like for you. Um, I should wake up at 7.30, but I usually wake up at 8. And then um, Winnie drives me to school because she goes to work in that direction. Um, then I have pastoral, which I'm late for. Um, and then I have, I think, one class and then recess and snack and then two classes and then lunch and then another period. So four periods in a yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. And then I go home at 7, 3, 10. But on Tuesday, I had a interview for Melbourne Show. Yeah. Juggler? In pardon? To be a juggler? No, oh. no. To show show bags. Yeah. That was in Derriman. Yeah. yeah. And what about after school? What do you do? Um, oh, I usually have piano, but I didn't go that day because of the interview. Yeah, that's at like five o'clock. Epic <laughs> afternoon tea after you get home. Um. Not usually. <laughs> I usually eat something. I love after school. Yeah. yeah. And then um, what about like homework or entertainment or what's Tuesday night look like? Um, I usually procrastinate. <laughs> and then I try to do homework, but I'm pretty behind at the moment. Yeah. yeah. What, what do you do to procrastinate? Netflix. I watched, I think I watched 13 Reasons. Yeah. 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 Fair enough. Yeah. Alright, and what do you like about school? And what do you find difficult about school? Um, homework's pretty hard. I don't know, keeping up with homework, yeah. I guess, and studying after school. <laughs> um, what I like about school? I like... I like my teachers this year. They're pretty nice. Um, I think I'm quite liking VC at the moment. It's not bad. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't. Sweet. <laughs> no, thanks, Heath. Why don't you give Vivian a hand? Thanks, Viv. <laughs> Get ready to be asked to be interviewed about your Wednesday. I hope everyone's um, starting to, you know, really think through what their days look like, because um, you, you could be next on the, the interview series. We're going to read the scriptures now, and Sarah Chen's going to uh, lead us in that. So you can open your Bibles to Acts 17. Um, so today's Bible passage is from Acts 17, verse 16 to 28. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both the Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic um, philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to, the, to a meeting of 
the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even, fa I even found an altar with this, in with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everything, everyone life, life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out the appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in, be for in him we live and move and have our being. As some, of, um, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And let us pray before Lucky comes up to preach. Um, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us all here today that we can um, hear more about you and your word. Um, I pray for Lucky before he comes up to speak, uh, as he comes up to speak, that he may be able to preach um, clearly and faithfully. I pray that um, you may help us to have open hearts and open minds um, that we may be, be to, uh, may be able to accept your word and apply it to our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Sarah. All right. So a reminder that we're going to be having question time uh, in this series. So if you've got any questions, you can text them through to my phone um, any time in the service if you like. And we're also going to have a, a next step or a first step um, in, in applying some of this. So how do we live as a Christian on a Tuesday? Well, how does school and faith intersect? You know, I said earlier that um, by school I, I, I mean high school, but I also mean uni, TAFE, you know, all education and, and learning. Even if you've finished formal education, even if you've made it to the, the pot at the end of the rainbow, being finished formal education, we're all still learning in different ways. So um, I put this topic on a Tuesday because I wanted to include uni students. I know uni students want to manufacture that long weekend and, you know, get Monday off, but by Tuesday we've all got to go to school, you know. Um, We've all got to go to school sometime. The weekend is done. And our faith should shape how we, we approach our Tuesday and how we approach school. I believe God cares even about how you study. I believe God cares about how you engage with your teachers. I believe God cares about how you feel and think about exams, recess, period two. Next week we're going to look at, at faith and friendship and social life and um, what it means to be a Christian when it comes to our, our friends. So 
I want to park the friends bit of school today because we will we'll look at that next week. What I want to consider is, is what our vision as a Christian is for learning, what our vision for school is. Not, not just how to be a Christian at school because you've got to go to school, but because of our faith, how should we go to school? Because of our faith, how should we view and then participate in, in learning and education? So, I mean, last week was about loving your family. This week's about trying hard at school. If there's one good time to tell your parents what we're doing in church, like this is the time, right? Be like, hey, mum and dad, last week we talked about loving you guys. This week we're talking about studying hard. They'll be like, the service will be full next week because all your parents will be here. Um, but I didn't always see school and education as significant to my faith. I was, I was, I was fairly competent as a kid. Um, but then I went to Melbourne High and my confidence in my own intelligence was just shattered. Um, and so I, I tried to protect my pride by playing like the class clown, like the silly guy, you know, a little bit, a little bit dumb but hilarious. You know, Hamish Blake was my hero. Um, in those days. Turns out Hamish is actually really smart as well though. Um, but, you know, I did okay at VCE and I got a score which meant I could um, get into commerce and law at Deakin. And I don't know, like, if you go to Deakin or if you study commerce and law, that's fine. But for, for me, that was not that wise of a decision. Um, I didn't like driving an hour um, to go to uni. I wasn't that interested in that. I sort of did it just because I could. Um, and then I just I mucked around um, in commerce. I dropped the law. I failed macroeconomics twice, um, which is like, you know, I call it macroeconomics because if I call it the real name, Economics 101, um, you don't want to fail that twice. But they did that thing where they do like an intervention and they're like, you failed the subject twice. You've got to come to this meeting and you can't be doing this. Um, but then I, I went to Bible college after I finished commerce and I, I still didn't dive all in maybe until like the second half of Bible college. Um, and so this has been a long lesson that God's been teaching me, that my faith and learning are actually quite connected. That God wants me to use my gifts to learn about his world, to receive and to steward the privilege of education. And so now I'm actually playing catch-up. Now I'm into this. I'm like playing catch-up and, and I'm learning stuff I should have learned years ago. I'm like reading about history and I'm like, oh, I wish I could go back to year nine history and just smash it, you know. Who's this old man in the class just learning about the, uh, the French Revolution or whatever it is. Learning, I'm learning about economics. So this, you know, reading some articles from The Economist. find that interesting now. But it's a bit too late in some ways. Um, playing catch-up. But in the story that we read in, in Acts 16, 17, Paul is in Athens, and Athens is, is a global centre of learning in the day. Athens was the home of Plato, Aristotle, Socrates. These are like the big dogs in like thinking. You know, these guys are, are famous, uh, Plato, Aristotle, Socrates. They're, they were dead by Paul's time, but they, they still... Um, their influence and legacy loomed large over the city and, and the city was still very interested in learning and philosophy and thinking. And so Paul's walking around Athens and he's disturbed 
because there's so much idolatry. It's pagan um, religions in the area, and there's lots of idols. And Paul's distressed. But in his distression, he, in his dis- distression, that's not a word, but there you go. In his distress, he, he doesn't run away. He stays and he brings the gospel into the situation. He engages with the people. It says he reasoned with the people. He had like a discussion or maybe some debate. You know, he put forward intellectually satisfying um, ideas. He reasoned, it says, in the synagogue and in the marketplace, in the religious space and in the business space. He, he reasoned with Jews and with Greeks. And he got into a debate with, with some philosophers. It says he got into a debate with some Epicurean philosophers. Now, Epicurean is where we get the word Epicurean, which is, is the sort of philosophy, basically the Epicurean philosophy could be summed up as an Instagram post from brunch. You know, it's a very Melbourne um, way of life, the Epicurean way of life. It's, it's pleasure, um, food, Instagram. There's a, there's a food magazine called, or is it the Age Epicurean section? Um, so we got into debate with the Epicureans and with the Stoics as well. And we know about the idea of being, you know, Stoic. Um, so we got into debate with Epicureans and Stoics, and they invite him to a philosophical meeting, the meeting of the Areopagus. And the Areopagus was, was on this hill in Athens, and I went on a study tour, and, and that's the hill that the Areopagus um, meets on. That's my lecturer giving a lecture and then facing the other way uh, on this, this sort of rock you look up um, to some of the high places in Athens. And so he gets invited to this meeting because the, everyone's interested in new ideas. Everyone's interested in new ideas. And... It's fascinating that the gospel in Acts is always presented as the answer to every question. So if, if there's a eunuch trying to interpret the book of Isaiah, Jesus is the answer. And if you're uh, an Epicurean philosopher interested in new ideas, Jesus is the answer. Like whether you're, you like ancient ideas or new ideas, whether you're Jewish or Greek, whatever your question, Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment. Of that question. He's good old news, he's good new news. He's good news. And so these people who love ideas, Paul takes that opportunity and tells them the ultimate idea that holds all ideas together. God. So he stands up and he says, I see you're very religious. I've been walking around the city and I see all these altars, all these places of worship. But I see you have an altar to an unknown God. You're telling me you knowledgeable people don't actually know this God you think you're into. You see, they, they, what they did is they had an altar to an unknown God just in case. They're like, what if we've forgotten a God to build an altar to? What if there's a real God we don't know about? Let's just put an altar to an unknown God in case. And Paul takes that opportunity and says, there is a God you don't know. I know him. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. 
And he does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So the God who made the world and everything in it, he says, is the Lord, the Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in temples built by human hands. He's too big for that. He doesn't need to be served by human hands. He's too strong for that. Rather, he himself, the Lord, he gives life and breath and everything else. He made everything. For in him we live and move and have our being. That means everything belongs to God. That everything is contained and housed by God. That we are living, moving and having our being in God's playground, even in Him. So what we do with our lives, what we do in this world is of eternal significance. We're given responsibility to steward our days, to steward our lives, to steward the earth and the world that He's given us. And that's why education and learning is so important. If we look at the story of Scripture, we'll see that that learning is actually part of the story. So this is the story of Scripture in six scenes. In creation, God called Adam and Eve to be co-workers, to name the animals, to till the soil, to be creative. They had to learn how to be creative, right? They just sort of learnt as they went. But when sin happens, the fall, sin fractures our relationship with God, but it also fractured our relationship with creation. And so work became burdensome. Tilling the soil became toil. Childbirth became painful. And in Israel, God's redemptive plan for the world, part of that redemptive plan was that he called his people, Israel, to be a creative minority, to be a small people who were creative, who were redemptive, who offered something to the world, to work for the good of creation, to help cities flourish, to build cities that, that were Jewish, but to help cities flourish that weren't even Jewish. If you read um, the prophets like Jeremiah, calling Israel to to seek the prosperity and the flourishing of the city they're in. And so these people were commissioned by God to learn. Daniel and his friends, if you know the story of Daniel, Daniel and his friends were trained for three years learning the language and the literature of the Babylonians so that they could be a creative minority in Babylon. Moses was educated in the wisdom of the Egyptians. Many people had trades, some of you guys, when you're thinking about you know, looking for a wife, I know you read Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31, that woman has every trade under the sun. It's amazing. 
So there were trades, there were jobs, there were competencies and skills in the people of Israel. There was a guy named Joseph who was a carpenter and he taught his son Jesus to be a carpenter too. And so Jesus spent 30 years learning to live, learning a trade, learning to be a teacher, a rabbi, before his three years of ministry. We see in Luke a story where at 12 years old he's found in the temple court sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. The early church, after Jesus were learners too, they had all sorts of jobs, trades and skills that they did to serve the world. They, they not only made money to serve the gospel, the gospel also empowered them to serve the world through their different skills and callings. And finally, in the biblical picture of heaven, new creation is not a disembodied Huggies nappy commercial. The new creation is, is one where we we contribute and we're creative, but with no more pain, where the work doesn't hurt anymore, there's no friction. Revelation even says that the kings of the, the, kings of the earth will bring their splendor into heaven. So one of my teachers at Bible college said, the Mona Lisa will be in heaven as the kings bring the splendor of the earth into it. So what does this all mean for school? I believe we're called by God to steward the opportunities that education affords us. That we might learn to live in God's world, learn to contribute to God's world, and learn how to collaborate in God's world. And I know school wasn't easy for everyone. I know that we all learn differently. So I want you to think not about how the, how the school or how the world tells you you're good at school or you're not good at school whether you're good with your heads or your hands or both, we can all have a godly vision for being learners and participants in the world and do our best to work towards that with the help of one another and the Holy Spirit. So God isn't marking you on a test. When we think about God calling us into learning, calling us into school, it's not because he wants to mark us on a test. He already loves you. He's already chosen you. You've already received his grace. And out of that, we can approach school and we can approach learning and education with passion, with conviction and with vision. So we can learn to live in God's world at school. We learn to be, learn to live and move and have our being. What does this look like? Well, the sciences the sciences, right? We learn to wonder at the cosmos. Physics, chemistry, biology, medicine, science. All the sciences, we learn to wonder at the cosmos. Humanities, we learn to celebrate humans. Hey guys, welcome. We celebrate humans and, and history and literature we learn to think. And that's just with your head. At school, we learn to live with our, our hearts and our hands as well. You know, in prep, you learn to like literally live, like to survive. You learn to like, you know, not do a poo in your pants in prep. You know, by the time you get to year 10, you learn to iron your own shirt, maybe, if you're lucky. Learn to make your lunch, if you're lucky. 
catch the bath on time. You know, we learn so many things about living and moving and having our being. I think one of the... We learn to, to ask for an extension, to plead for mercy. We learn to work through things that are hard. I think one of the things that school teaches us most is just perseverance. Like, you have to show up every day. It's not like uni. You have to show up five days a week. Every day. And it's just formative. It, it teaches us faithful presence. Because you've just got to show up again and again and again. And so much of life is about that. In God's economy, perseverance and preparation are just always a part of life. Even Jesus had to prepare. Even Jesus had to persevere. So we can learn to live in God's world and we can have a vision that at school we're not just um, learning something because we have to or for a test. We're learning to live and move and have our being. We're also learning to create and make, to be contributors to the world. You know, we learn practical lessons at school and that help us have skills so that we can contribute to the world. We also um, sometimes get leadership opportunities, maybe SRC or school captain or house captain or there's captain for everything these days, faith captain. If you go to one of those private schools and you're like the only Christian, you just get faith captain and you know, put it on the blazer. But it's an opportunity to, to learn what it means to be an influence. We learn competencies, how to learn how to use a computer, how to give a speech, how to write an essay, how to use a piece of medical equipment, how to do accounting or economics. All these things which we can then contribute to the world and society with. Contribute to the world that God has given us so that we might live and move and have our being in it. And finally, we learn how to collaborate in God's world. You know, school teaches us one thing, it's that we are not doing this alone, that we have to do this life with people next to us, people who are different, people who are similar, people who are, are frustrating, people who are, are so much fun. We have to work with and learn from teachers like part of life is that there'll always be people who are um, above us, unless you're like the president of the UN or something. But we have to to learn to to work with teachers and and superiors. We have to learn to collaborate with with peers. We have to work together. You know, when people say at uni, they're like, "I don't want a group assignment." You know, the people in the group assignment they they're letting me down. And I have to do more work and it looks bad on me. Every time I hear that, I'm like, and that is life. <laughs> That's literally like the rest of life is working with other people who sometimes might let you down. You might have to sometimes do more work. Sometimes they might make you look bad. That's life. We, we learn to, to work with peers. We learn friendships. The community and other people and friendships are essential to life. We... We also learn what it means to have enemies. Some of us have been bullied. Some of us were not in the cool clique or even like the second level cool clique, you know. 
and we have to learn what it means to navigate life with people who aren't kind to us. We learn how to operate within institutions and communities, something that, that life always involves. So in conclusion, I want to say that I know school has been hard for many people. It can be a place where you get stressed, where you worry about success. Even thinking about school might remind you of of failing to meet expectations or getting bullied or struggles with identity. But God isn't interested in grading you on a test. God isn't interested in your performance. He has so much grace for you and he loves you so much. But because of that, because he's called you to be on his team and be an ambassador of Christ. He's called us to live and move and have our being in the world. To learn and contribute for the glory of God, for the service of people and for the flourishing of cities and societies. And so the first step is this Tuesday... You can take Monday off. Remember, what do we do on Monday? Love our neighbour as ourselves. Who's your closest neighbour? I hope that one's going well. But on Tuesday, before you begin your first learning task or class of the day, say a prayer. Thank God for the opportunity to learn and then lean in with godly vision of becoming a learner, a contributor and a collaborator in God's world. Amen.